Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, a future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today we have Kara Corey, registered dietitian on board. We are going to talk about food addiction. So get ready, this is going to be an amazing podcast. Let's get started. Okay, guys, today I have the amazing Kara Corey. She is a registered dietitian. She is just an amazing, inspiring individual who puts out quality, scientific-based content on Instagram, on YouTube. So I'm very excited to have her on board today. So Kara, why don't you tell my listeners who you are, a little bit about your background, and then we can go into the very interesting topic for today. All right. Thank you, Lacey. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm so happy you asked me to be on here. Um, For those that aren't familiar with me, I'm a registered dietitian, and I've been a registered dietitian now for just about 10 years. Um, My background in terms of dietetics, I worked a little bit in long-term care while I was going through graduate school for my nutrition science master's. And then I transitioned after my graduate program into the mental health field. And I've worked at a local state psychiatric hospital for the past 10 years. And I started there as a dietitian working with your geriatric uh, adult, more medically frail patients who suffer from mental health issues, obviously, but also had a ton of nutritional issues on top of that. So mental health has really been a huge passion of mine since starting out in the field. Um, With that, I'm also, you know, into the fitness industry. I am a WMBF bikini pro, so I love the bodybuilding fitness aspect. Um, I kind of correlate both of those into my social media accounts. Um, And more recently, I've been and more involved in the integrative and functional nutrition aspect of dietetics because it's kind of this new growing field that we didn't really talk about a lot when I was in school. There wasn't as much much research then. So I'm pursuing that avenue a bit more um, to kind of use in my own practice when I work with clients one-to-one. You know, I, I tend to get a lot of clients that just really you know, they want to lose weight, but ultimately a lot of people come to me and seek a dietitian over your basic Fitspo handing out a meal plan because they want to learn their body better. They want Mm -hmm. to better understand what's really going on so that they can stop that yo-yo cycle and hopefully make some lifestyle changes and just feel better about themselves. So, um, kind of been dabbling in a little bit of everything, but mostly, uh, been working full-time at the psychiatric center. I actually no longer work with patients there. I've kind of worked my way up and I'm more in administration now on the business side of things in terms of hospital finances. So that's a bit different for my day job. So with my passion for dietetics, I really apply a lot of that passion with my one-to-one clients and, you know, just doing YouTube and, and that community is really fun for me. Yeah, that's so beyond rewarding. And having such a large background in different types of people with different um, nutritional issues or deficiencies and different aspects of mental health as well. Um, So a great, great background. And I think that is even going to apply for today's topic, which is food addiction. So I'm going to let Kara start on what is food addiction and what she has seen in the literature and the research because this is not a topic, one, that is seen a lot other than, you know, the I have seen on social media the whole sugar addiction thing, but food right. addiction in general. So we'll go into the sugar addiction, but let's describe what it is first off. Okay, so food addiction, one of the first things I want to kind of point out is that it's not an actual diagnosis at this mm-hmm. point. So for those of, the, of us in the medical field, we're used to the DSM-5 criteria in order to diagnose someone, and that's really what we look at, you know. But at this point, and still today, e- even with all the research, there is not a clear uh, diagnosis for it or that DSM-5 criteria that really dictates what food addiction is and who it applies to. Um, so right now, it's still considered just a concept in this world, but it really parallels a lot of 
the things that we hear about with, you know, drug addiction or really any kind of addiction you hear about in terms of tobacco addiction or gambling and things like that. So with food addiction, it's usually thought to be mostly your high processed, uh, high carbohydrate junk food type foods that um, people struggle to limit themselves with and not tend to overeat on them. So I think a lot of people could hear me say this statement and say, oh my God, that's me, I'm a food addict. But um, again, there's no criteria to diagnose, but Yale did come out with a really good, uh, uh, kind of like a scale to look at and answer some questions and, and take a look to see how many you answer yes to and where you fall on their scale. And that's that's been um, a widely used tool for those that do buy into this concept because I do have to point out it's very controversial. Not everyone really buys this as a concept. A lot of people don't even agree with it, you know, and dietitians included. So, you know, not everyone agrees with it, but those that do agree with it and are trying to kind of sort things out can use this this Yale food scale to kind of ask some questions. Are, are people eating more than planned when they sit down to eat? Uh, things like, are you feeling sluggish after you're done eating? Um, do you feel like you need to eat more, you know, to feel better about your own self? Like, do you have to continue to eat in order to feel good and to fulfill something more than that hunger pang we get in our stomach? Um, or things like going out of your way. Like, do you have to go out of your way to seek food and, and things like that? So... Um, some of it kind of overlaps with substance abuse. So you're seeing more and more research now where they're comparing, you know, possible food addiction to drug addiction, cocaine addiction and heroin addiction. And in the past few years, it kind of seems like it's it's pretty much not debatable anymore. They they have found through the research and there is a lot out there. Um, I should point out this concept isn't new. They were talking about food addiction back in the 1950s. It was just on a much different scale in terms of what food we were overeating. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the food that was available to us back in the 1950s, well, thankfully, I mean, you and I weren't around back then, but our parents maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the food around back then that people were thought to be overeating or addicted to were things like eggs and potatoes. And, you know, right now, those are great foods we want people to eat more of. And so that scale of food addiction has really changed over time when you look at our food availability in, in 2017. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, a lot of the studies have shown um you know, when they've done it with rats. And there's been tons of human studies as well where they do PET scans or they do MRIs of the brain and look at that brain activity. And they've been studying what happens in the brain when people just look at certain foods. Like if they're looking at a plate of vegetables versus a milkshake and what that brain activity looks like. And as well as looking at the brain activity when they're actually consuming those products and what and what differences are happening. And what they're finding is that that pleasure center in the brain um, really becomes activated when we're consuming those high sugar foods. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of research being done on what's stimulating that pleasure center or the more scientific name is the nucleus accumbens. So they're really taking a look at what happens in that section of the brain when we're looking at certain foods, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're consuming those foods and and even after the fact. So right now, a lot of the studies do show that those high sugar foods are really lighting up that pleasure center. So it's a really, it's a really interesting concept. And, you know, it is highly debatable because when they look at some of the rat studies, what I've seen is when you offer a rat, I believe it was sugar or heroin, the rat always took the sugar. So you see some memes and different kind of concepts out there that people post on social media, you know, saying how sugar is much more addictive than cocaine. And often it's debated because people are very, you know, defensive and, 
and say, oh, okay, so we should have cocaine over sugar. And I don't, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, all right, that's not necessarily the point. Let's not take it that far. But I think, I think it needs to be that extreme. I think people need to understand how strong of a concept addiction is and how it relates to food. Because as you know, we've got this huge issue with obesity mm-hmm. that we still have not been able to figure out and it's not getting any better. So as wild as a concept as this is, I think it needs to be looked at a bit more, at least from, you know, our standpoint, from a dietitian standpoint, from uh, a medical practitioner standpoint, in terms of trying to make some changes with how we live our own lives and, and model things appropriately, because when you look at the medical field, there's a lot of us out there that aren't modeling what we want our patients to do. So I think that's one of the problems. But, you know, I think we need to look more into this concept and see how we could better assist our patients because it may not necessarily be their faults. There may be things going on with their brain chemistry that were there when they were born that they can't control. So um, it's a lot to kind of dive into Mm -hmm. and and deal with um, from a practitioner standpoint. Yeah, I think one of the biggest factors is the increase in highly palatable foods. So, you know, those sweet foods, those bitter foods, those salty, sour, umami, all these different types of foods give us different sensations and perceptions, and they affect our hormones and our brain um, receptors differently. So I know I looked at one of those studies looking at a high fructose, not a high fructose, a high glucose versus low um, glycemic index shake with the same amount of calories and creating, you know, that nucleus dopamine receptor response, which was higher in the high glucose. Right. So what I find interesting too is is that response specifically due to the taste and the perception or is it due to the actual metabolism and the effect of that in the body? Right. So I think I I do know the study you're referring to. And what I've seen too, is that supposedly, you know, these two items taste exactly the same somehow. So the thought is that it's not even the taste of it, that it's really that, that higher glycemic response and like you mentioned, it really impacts those brain chemicals. So those 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 pleasure centers there, mm-hmm. the dopamine response and the opioid response that we get in the brain that make us feel good and almost give us that temporary high, which kind of parallels like a drug addiction, right? So mm-hmm. a temporary high from it. And the thought is the more of it you have, the more of the more of it you want. So you almost create this tolerance and withdrawal type habit with these high sugar, high glycemic load foods um, where your body, your body's chemicals don't work exactly the same. So you're going to have that shake over and over again. And the dopamine dopamine response is not going to be as high, Mm -hmm. which then leads you to wanting more and more with each and every time you go to eat these foods. So it's this vicious cycle that you're creating and then if you try to not have it or cut it back, you you can tend to get those withdrawal symptoms. Uh-huh. Those are true symptoms that, you know, I think a lot of people who struggle with weight or maybe struggle with food addiction feel like they're a failure and they don't understand. And I mean, this could explain a lot of what's going on and, and where some of the struggles really are. Yeah, and then you have the thing, if you cut it out, then that's, you're just going to think about it. You're going to think about it. And then when you have it, you're just going to want all of it because your body thinks you're never going to be able to have that. Again, it's like starvation from that food. So right. you just want to get it all in as much as possible. So right. highly interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of like yeah. insulin resistance, almost the way you describe the receptors. Right. Yeah, it's very similar. And I think what you just mentioned, too, is really important because it's like where so where do we go from here with Mm -hmm. with clients? You know, do you tell them to just totally remove X, Y and Z trigger foods out of their their life and they can never have them again? Or how do you find that way to make some kind of balance with it? And I think, you know, there needs to, to be some like behavioral structuring 
in place to help with those certain trigger foods. And it's, it's really complicated. And I don't even know, I mean, it's been 10 years since I've been in school, but I'm not sure that, you know, our, our dietetics profession in, in schooling really equips us to help with some of these areas that really do have a lot of psychology behind them. Yeah, no, I would say not. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. It really right. is because it comes to the point where if you are dealing with mental health, if you're dealing with people with past eating disorders or eating problems, we don't, though we're taught motivational interviewing, we are not taught how to deal with those different types of problems and their thought processes. So we don't understand what they're going through. Right. And that means that they have to reach out to psychologists, psychiatrics, like, and there's a disconnect there. If you're seeing two different types of people. Right, right. Unless you've got one whole treatment team, which a lot of times you only see that in an inpatient setting, maybe Mm -hmm. an outpatient, but a lot of people aren't going to have that full team support, you know, and I think a lot of times folks that struggle with, with these types of issues, they just want help and they want to lose weight. And a lot of times you almost have to, in my experience, you have to kind of stop the focus on the weight loss. That, that part needs to be put on hold for a little bit for people to really dive into those behavioral issues and what's really going on in their life. Um, that's maybe causing this addiction or causing some of those reasons why they're overeating. And I think that's hard for people. People just want to be handed Mm -hmm. a diet or they want, you know, please tell me what to do and I'll do it. And they just want you to hand them that meal plan that's going to hopefully change their lives when really there's a lot of, there's a lot of peeling the layers that needs to be done, you know, with self-assessment of what's going on in your life in order to really produce you know, long-term lifestyle changes. Yeah, layer one, why do you want to lose weight? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard. And another thing is it's, there's two different types of people, you know, it's the, there's that one person who cutting that food out that may trigger them is what they need. And then there's the other person where cutting that food out is just going to make them want more of it. So it's, Figuring out how you work as an individual and what your brain does. And we can't just go off of that. We don't, the lack of genetic research and even hormones, like there's so many gaps and holes in the scientific fields. Right. And that's definitely what I found with, with researching this topic. It was interesting to me because I went to a conference on this topic about two years ago now. So when I thought about doing this topic with you, I I looked it up online to see if there was any newer research or things that, you know, have come out since I last did that conference. And it still seems like it's just as up in the air as it was a few years ago, even Mm -hmm. though there's a lot of research on it. There's just so many different things, like you said, with hormones and, you know, and now we know your gut health, how that impacts it. And Mm -hmm. there's so many different things going on and you get different Yeah. And based on where you look and who you go to, um, you know, some of the research I looked at, some of the doctors did recommend going through total, uh, you know, uh, cold turkey style restriction of your diet in terms of those trigger foods and those high sugar foods that you're finding you're addicted to. You know, some doctors really swear by that in terms of just omitting them at least for not forever, but at least give yourself, you know, some of the tips that I saw were giving yourself at least two to five days off of those high sugar foods to kind of, you know, eliminate that quick fix from the dopamine and hopefully help to reset your hormones because we know they can be reset, but at what level and, you know, how long it's, it's going to be so individualized and that's something we're not going to know working with people. So it's a lot of trial and error to really help find that best fit for people if they're struggling with what they think is a food addiction. Yeah, I would agree. Now, if you were to have a client come in who has, who thinks that they have a food addiction, what would be the first thing that you would try and do for them? I think the first thing I would try to do for them is really dive into a bit more of their personal history. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because I think 
big part of addiction in general is your personality and some more of those addictive personalities are obviously going to have more addictive behaviors. So oftentimes I get clients who are very general with me and they just tell me their nutrition history and want me to help them. And really with something like food addiction, I would need to know a lot more about their lifestyle because I think a lot of the behavioral components are going to come into play with what some of my recommendations would be for them versus here's what you should eat or here are your macros. I think we need to talk about, well, what's happening before you go into this food addiction type craze or, you know, not necessarily binging because that's a separate, um, it's a separate disorder and a, a whole diagnosis with that. But you know, I'd really want to dive into their personal life and their history and see what's going on with them um, and just their background in general to see if there's anything that stands out in terms of addictive behavior. Um, yeah, because if somebody has OCD that has been clinically diagnosed, that's huge. Right. Right. And, and the research does show that there's a lot of overlap there with, you know, those with addictive personality or other mental health issues, um, history of other disordered eating, you know, those types of things are all going to play into it. So um, I'm trying to find out a bit more about that to kind of separate if it is if it is a true food addiction um, or not, because I would want to handle those people differently. Um because maybe if it was a true food addiction, I would ask someone to identify what those trigger foods are and work through that. You know, what are the foods that you're eating that you're struggling with um, and, and dive more into those. And then maybe we would do a little period of trying to eliminate them, even for a couple days to see how it went, mm -hmm. you know. And again, it would have to be trial and error because like you mentioned, you don't want people to go to the other extreme where if they feel so restricted, then they're just going to go hog wild with it as soon as they lay eyes on it. So it's it's a really fine line working with, with individuals who kind of have that addictive personality. Yeah, for sure. Now, right. what are your thoughts on, so there was a study done um, with sugar, it said, is sugar addictive like a drug? And in the study, they looked at high-fat savory and high-fat sweet foods, which, you know, contain a bunch of sugar to look at the brain responses. And they stated that sugary foods contribute minimally to food dependence and increased risk of weight gain. Instead, they are consistent with the current scientific notion that food energy density and the unique individual experience of eating plays an important role in determining the reward value of food. Interesting. Yeah. So basically they were saying that it's not sugar. It is the um, food energy density and the pleasure of eating that is causing these yeah. brain things. And I know, and that's totally different from the study that I looked at on right. the glucose drink. So then, you know, it's kind of holding your hands up like, all right. Right. So which is, now we have we to go? dive into the yeah. methods. And that just, it's just hard. So what are your thoughts? I, I mean, I think that brings up a really good point too, because, you know, I've, I've gone back to hearing people say, well, it's ultimately the calories, which mm -hmm. is the issue of obesity, or, you know, it's the macros and all carbs are carbs and all protein pro is protein. And really, I think this just shows us that you, it's, it's not just the calories. It's not just getting in the right amount of macronutrients. I think you do need to look at the quality of food uh -huh. and I, we need to, use this opportunity to work with people on specific food choices and finding ways to use food as medicine and really by finding foods that are providing more nutritional benefits than, you know, foods that are providing none in these processed foods that many of us are eating because they're convenient and they're quick and they're palatable, like you said, mm -hmm. uh, finding these foods that would help fuel the body in different ways, I think would show to be ultimately more pleasurable and maintainable for people and help them with their weight loss goals. Yeah. And 
I definitely, I, I love how you mentioned that food is medicine because it is, and it's going to be. And I love that functional and integrative medicine is coming out and as being a bigger topic. Cause I really do feel that our, our, the chronic diseases that we have in this world, they are going to be solved somehow through food and nutrition. Right. And environmental toxins and all this functional and integrative medicine. I don't feel that obesity has an answer. I don't feel that a chronic disease has a specific answer. I think it's like a correlation of all these different aspects of our lives. So we can't blame, you know, just sugar. We can't blame saturated fat. And that's, you know, what, and as you know, that's what research, that's what dietetics, that's what, I mean, everybody tries to blame one thing. Right, right, absolutely. We try to find what that that answer is, and if we see one research study, that's kind of what we have to go on. You mm-hmm. know, that's, that's what we're taught to teach other people. But you're right. I think it really comes down to, you know, and the food supply and looking at. Yes, we live in a world now where food is extremely plentiful. It's it's very different than you know caveman days, and and very different than a hundred years ago. Absolutely. Even I even think about growing up as a kid for me, like there are so many different options. It's insane. And don't get me wrong. I am a pumpkin basic girl all season long. (laughs) It's your season coming up. Right. And then it's almost like, wow, I, I think about it in this context where you can't get away from it. And now you've got uh-huh. social media where if you're scrolling through the social media and that's all you're seeing is food and all the advertising. And, you know, I don't know that I can say advertising is to blame. I know some people want to blame advertising and the food companies. And sure, they play a role and a responsibility in it. Um, but I do think this this issue is is bigger than the individual. And we once thought that it was just someone not showing self discipline. When it's almost it almost feels impossible in a lot of settings when you look at people's lifestyles, the amount of times they're exposed to food and opportunities to eat food, and nine times out of ten, most likely ten times out of ten, it's not healthy food that they're being offered. Mm-hmm. So we're just in a society right now where it feels like we're set up to fail. And I know that sounds really negative, but I just want to be realistic about it. And I think some people live in this bubble and they're not realistic about the issues we have with food right now and really, you know, why we eat the foods we eat and and going back to that basic concept of trying to fuel our body. And I mentioned this in before in one of my videos, but I like this analogy and I think it fits. So I'm going to bring it up again. When we buy a new car or or buy something of that sort, you know, we want to do everything we can to keep it looking perfect. We want to put in the maintenance for it. We want to get the oil changed. We want to get the tires rotated. We may even put in a ton of money to clean the, the body of it. And we do all this to maintain this car. Yet if you think about our body as a vessel, as a car, as an organism, and what we do on a daily basis to maintain it, you know, a lot of people, I would like to know their response to that because I don't know if a lot of people could really answer with a lot of good things that they do to maintain their body on a daily basis. Yeah, I would say I skip my foam rolling, so I have a few dents and some scratches on my bumper. (laughs) Right. But yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah. it's 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 hard to teach that um, because right. everybody wants that quick fix. They do. Everyone is more so focused on the aesthetic look, um, what you see on the outside versus internal health. And, and that's a hard thing to change. And, you know, we all want to look good. I think it's even harder in today's day with the social media pressure, but that's kind of always been around with TV and magazines and celebrities and seeing that in that type of atmosphere. So it's just, it's hard because it is everywhere. So it's hard to kind of push this change for focusing more on internal health. And, you know, you can't, as as a clinician working with someone, you can't make someone care in that way. They have uh-uh. to find it within them. And, you know, I think it's, it's our responsibility to help empower them and get to that, that point with them of, 
helping them find their why behind making food choices and helping them feel better and improve their self-esteem and improve their self-confidence, you know. And with that, weight loss usually comes, you know, but you have to focus on all those those other factors first sometimes too. Yeah, and that comes all around to food addiction. Why do you want to eat that certain food? How does that food make you feel? So it's, it's huge. And I think in regards to food addiction, the another problem is, like we have said, the availability of these highly palatable foods, the fact that they are less expensive than these organic, GMO-free, not that eating organic or GMO-free is better, but just these other foods are more expensive for us to eat right? with less processed ingredients. They're more expensive. And then we have the problem of food insecurity, which is whew, at a very yeah. high rate nowadays. And so Absolutely. that increases the quote unquote food addiction. So there are a variety of factors and I think it's going to be a mixture of a lot of people and a lot of politicians and a lot of big companies having to work together and um, putting their tails under their legs and just attacking the problem. Absolutely. And I mean, that brings up a good point because there are, you know, there, you always hear some of the policies that are thrown out, you know, should we, so should we do like a tax on sugared soda and and things like that? Um, Which that actually I passed, I think, in Illinois. Yes, it has passed in some areas. I think it passed in New York City, but not in all of New York State. Oh. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's the answer. I don't know if that'll help. And you hope we could get some, you know, in the future with more research, with more information on this, we could get some type of policies in place to help initiate some of this change, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, if I, that I, money from the tax went to creating the change, that would be fantastic. Right. right. And continuing to do research on all these these areas in terms of hormone regulation that we still are trying to sort out and find out the best plan for. But again, I think there's still so many people that don't buy into the concept of food addiction or and maybe even food as medicine. I think that's a little bit more accepting because I think people just are fed up and they don't know what else to do, that people are ready to go back to food versus medicine um, and pills or prescriptions or whatever. But, you know, I think a lot of practitioners need to buy into these concepts of treating our bodies healthy and treating our body like a temple. And, you know, it starts with us before we can really implement it with our clients. And I I do think a lot of medical professionals still aren't implementing it with themselves. So we're not really great role role models yet for this change that we want to see. And I don't know, maybe you see some of that being out on your internship rotations, but when I went to this conference for food addiction and they looked around the room and like more than half the room, and this was a room of medical professionals for this conference. It was dietitians, dentists, doctors, nurse practitioners, you name it. And three fourths of the room was overweight or obese just looking around. And I thought it was kind of cool that the dietitian who did the presentation brought that up because it's a touchy subject but I think it's something that needs to be addressed, like just within the medical field, you know? And that's, that's really scary to me because then that becomes a problem because you have an individual going to a doctor or seeing a nurse or seeing a dietitian and they, the information coming out of that medical professional's mouth is not going to be taken the same way if, if that person was, you know, at a, healthy weight and I'm not saying that if you're overweight you're not healthy but that's it's just the way it is right it is and it's unfortunate because I do I know actually several dietitians that are um, obese and I know from working with people that they're not taken as seriously and it doesn't mean that they're not great dietitians in terms of their clinical knowledge and their Mm -hmm. experience and what they know and what they've been through but unfortunately, the judgment's there, and they're not taken as seriously. Yeah. You know? So it so just becomes kind of a cycle. It does. Yeah. So I really think 
you know, this topic is a big deal and it, it has to start if we're going to promote any kind of change with food addiction and how it impacts obesity or diabetes. And, you know, it's got to start with us. Yeah. And it's still, it's, it's, how do you know, is it the chicken before the egg? You know, is someone born with these addictive properties with their, their brain and their chemical levels? Is it something that is going to happen regardless of what situations are presented in life? You know, we don't really know at this point who exactly is at risk per se for food addiction. Yeah, I would, I would say that there is different personalities that are at risk though. Just Absolutely. like predisposition for them finding cancer genes. Like there's, um, there's got to be a way. We just have to find it. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, even though it's not a true diagnosis right now, I definitely think that it's worth trying to find strategies to help people assist with this. And it, it's worth diving a little deeper with your clients or for anyone listening to this podcast who isn't a dietitian, obviously, I know a lot of non-dietitians listen to your podcast, but I think it's mm-hmm. good for anyone listening to the podcast to just think about them, their own self, use yourself as a case study and think about, you know, some of the factors that could be playing into your, to some of your food choices. And if those addictive type properties are there. Yeah, um, that's huge to ask yourself why, do you like this? Why right. are you craving this? How right. do you feel when you eat this? Right. Like, do you feel a loss of control with certain foods? Are there, you know, and I have to bring up with bodybuilders, you know, the peanut butter is just seems to be uh, one of the number one things I hear about. Too. Oh my God, they can down a whole, whole entire jar in a day. Right. That's what I'm saying. So it's like these, these addictions are there where people just, you know, can't, control themselves. So, you know, asking yourself some of those questions, you know, um, can help. And there's other factors too, you know, thinking about, you know, exercise levels come into play and, you know, how much activity are you getting? Maybe that would help produce some of those pleasure hormones we mm-hmm. discussed that you could substitute in some, some good exercise instead of, you know, the food addiction, Um, things like sleep. I think sleep is so, we talk about it a lot, but I think people don't take it seriously enough for how much it's so with you. Thank you for mentioning that. Right. Right? Like I think people think I'm crazy when they're like telling me their food history and I'm like, all right, that's great. But how's your sleep? Oh, I sleep maybe four hours a night. Yeah. Like sleep and stress sometimes are more important than your intake, you know? So you have to look at all those factors and all of that could be playing into it. And those are all areas that you could be making some changes to better assist in how you're making dietary choices. So if your sleep is actual, is crap, and you're sleeping less than six hours a night, and you know, the average they say you need is seven to nine hours, if you're sleeping less than that consistently, and making bad food choices throughout the day, you know, maybe the sleep is the first part you need to work on. Oh, yeah, there was I was listening to a podcast um, earlier that was talking about the lack of sleep increases those pleasure rewards. Right. And a lot of times people do if you're if you wake up feeling um, fatigued and not well rested, food is energy, right? Like uh-huh. we go to perk us up and a lot of times people think to have those high sugar foods because that's that truly produces that pleasure and it kind of perks us up a bit. So it's that cortisol response too. And then that absolutely. just becomes a vicious cycle. Right. And, and stress is definitely something that, that needs to be assessed as well with anyone with with food addiction or, or struggling with their, their weight because, again, not alone. You could be doing everything in the book correct in terms of what you're feeding your body, feeding your vessel. But if you are stressed out to the max and you're stressing every choice throughout the day, every decision you have to make, worrying about this and that, odds are your, your hormones are all thrown off. Your cortisol is through the roof and that could be the one reason you're not meeting your weight loss goals. Yeah, that's a huge important factor. So I'm very glad we kind of touched on mentioned it. that. Yeah, touched on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so there's a lot of things that that people can be thinking about and kind of assessing, you know, if they're concerned they have uh, food addiction. I think, you know, number one, maybe just taking a look at what the trigger foods are. If there's there are particular trigger foods, I think it's good to maybe list them out. I'm a big proponent of journaling and getting things on paper. I find it to be very therapeutic for people. And I find a lot of people come to a lot of self-realizations when they get that pen on paper and just start writing things out in a judgment-free zone. Um, So journaling it out and kind of finding what certain things are tempting you, what trigger foods are you just absolutely struggling with and why, you know, and kind of start looking at those foods. Um, And I think, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of work, but I think people do need to squeeze in the time to better prioritize their day and have meals prepared. You know, I work with a lot of people that are not into meal planning and don't get me wrong. I am, I would love for someone to cook for me all the time. That's why I usually make my husband do it. (laughs) Um, you know, people need to have meals planned out and smaller meals sometimes can help people out if they're, you know, eating more frequently throughout the day and having that good combination of protein and good sources of carbohydrates and, you know, high fiber foods, good source of fats, you know, having like a nice balanced meal frequently throughout the day is going to definitely, obviously, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but that sets people up better for success. Yet, so many people still don't do it. You know, so many people go into their day and, you know, a lot of people I work with at the hospital, and again, I work in a healthcare setting. These people come to work every day with Dunkin' Donuts, and don't get me wrong, your girl loves a Dunkin' Coffee, but they come to work and that's that's all they're going on is fast food in the morning, they've brought no lunch, they get fast food in the afternoon, and that nighttime they're left with a raging appetite yeah, or starving. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just there's all kinds of things there and you know, so setting yourself up for success, definitely assessing what your intake is looking like. And also I think it's important to mention too for anyone that really feels like they are struggling with food addiction and if you haven't reached out to someone, I do think it's important, even though this isn't a diagnosis you should reach out to a medical professional, whether it's your doctor or if you're working with a dietitian or a psychologist, whoever you're working with, it definitely needs to be talked about if you feel like you're you're struggling this hard where it feels like an addiction, where you're having withdrawal symptoms when it's gone. And with that said, I don't I'm not talking about coffee because that is a separate type of drug being a stimulant, but you know, thinking about food, if you're really feeling that out of control with it, then it's, it's good to reach out and talk to someone because a lot of people feel very shameful, um, when they struggle with these types of things. And, you know, even working with a dietitian, I know a lot of people have the misconception that all dietitians are perfect and perfect eaters. And, you know, they don't far from that, right? You know, um, a lot of people get into dietetics because they have their own food issues is what I've seen. But, you know, I, I think people just want to tell you what they think you want to hear so you're not disappointed when in reality, no one's going to be disappointed in them. And the best way we can help people is if they're open and honest with what they're struggling with. And, you know, I don't think I know any dietitians that would judge anyone for being open with their struggles. Everyone struggles. So yeah, we are all human. Don't feel like you can't go talk to somebody because it'll make you less human, that it'll make you weak, that it means you are not strong. Because it takes strength to tell somebody that you are going through something. And if you internalize something, it just becomes just a cloud and it will engulf you. And if you let that cloud out, you can actually live life, get through it. We all have problems. Absolutely. We just have to speak about them. So I'm very glad you mentioned that for people. If you have any, any type of issue, speak to somebody about it. Right. Right. And it's, you know, I know it's hard to open up about stuff, especially in a world where people think everyone else looks perfect. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, has all their crap together, but, you know, no one really does. Everyone's still trying to figure out their life and their world, and, and everyone has different issues, whether it be food or whether it be drugs or whatever it is, you know, like yeah. people all have some type of issue, so it's just really important, and sometimes, you know, it, that is the first step. That's the hardest thing is admitting you have an issue with it, so um, that is where it's similar to drugs. You have to first admit that you are struggling with it. You have to you have to be ready to be honest with yourself about what you're really doing. And, you know, we know this through a lot of research. People underreport what they're really consuming in terms of their diet intake. All so, the time. Right. So, you know, I hear it all the time. People are like, oh, this is what I eat. And then we'll talk more. Oh, yeah, but I, I do this too. You know, so I think people are scared to open up to other people, but I think they're also not willing to admit to themselves. Correct. What, yeah, what that's a huge like, aspect of it. You know, what you have to first be honest with yourself. You know, what what does your diet really look like? What do, what does your exercise really look like? And what are you really willing to put into yourself right now? Because it's really an investment in yourself. It's not, it can't be about a number on a scale. It can't be about uh, attending a wedding eight weeks from now. It, it really can't be or else it's not going to be sustainable and you will fail. It'll be a diet. You will have a start and an end to it and it'll be done. So it's, I think it's a lot more than people realize to change your lifestyle and change your, your dietary and, you know, exercise habits. You really have to be willing to put yourself first and invest in your health and have that buy-in to it or else, you know, it's, you're probably not going to fix some of the root causes of, of the issues that are going on there. Yeah. I think the, like you have stated how you go into the past medical history and the personalities, the behavioral aspect of dieting is the biggest and the hardest problem mountain issue to overcome for sure. Right. It is. And it's, it, it really, you know, even just with the, the clients that I see, I feel like it's one of the number one issues is, you know, the behavioral, the behavioral issues with eating. And some of that goes into a lot of the binge eating type behaviors, which does somewhat overlap with some of the food addiction uh-huh. concepts. Um, so there, there's similarities there, but it's, it's a lot of what I see and a lot of clients that I work with, you know, um, and it's not that people don't enjoy eating healthy. I just think there's so much access to all this other food that we're just so used to eating. And people don't know how to say no. People don't know how to shut it off. And there is some information out there, too. I'm not super well informed with it. But, you know, you can find information on training your brain and using different parts of your brain so that you're not constantly thinking with that pleasure-reward part of your brain. Um just freaking so, take a grad school, go to grad <laughs> school or go to classes and then you don't think about it because you don't have the time to do it. You do not have time to eat in grad school ever. <laughs> turning. So I was trying to like stuff my theater. face before this podcast. <laughs> I was right there with you, shoving in my sweet potato. So yeah, yeah it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's okay. definitely hard and it's very individualized too. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you're seeing this now through your internship and it's, it, you'll get it so much more lazy once you have that RD credential. Everyone's going to think you are just, oh, Lacey can answer every question for me now. And, you know, just you'll get people coming up to you that want you to solve their life history of weight issues in five minutes of talking with them. And <laughs> you're like, I need approximately like three, three hour sessions with you. That's right. Like that minimum, please. And that's, you know, people just don't get that. They don't realize it. And, uh, and that's a whole different issue too, that I can go into the fact that the insurance doesn't cover nutritional counseling, but yeah, that should probably be a whole other podcast if you don't have one on that, because that, that definitely does not help help the cause whatsoever. No. Uh, But thank you so much for taking your time to talk about this topic. I know there's not, there wasn't a lot of podcasts that talked about it. There's not that much. There's like a mixture of data and literature. So I'm very happy we went over this. I think it's very eye-opening for people. And hopefully it will inspire people to reach out for help if they need it or to just think about the way they eat. 
So right. is there Absolutely. any last minute words from you? No, I, would just, I would just say I encourage people, like you said, to think about what they're eating, what they're fueling their body with. And I encourage you to kind of research um, this topic a little bit more. There's some great books out there to read and not saying everything in it is 100% true, but it's always good to read this stuff. I think it really empowers people to think about their bodies and their food choices a little bit different when they start thinking about how every little thing we're putting in our mouth does help to fuel our body or it could potentially harm us. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully people, you know, take a look at that a little bit more. Yeah, put some good nutrients in your body. For That's sure. Right. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Kara. Again, if you can tell my listeners where they can find you, follow you, contact you, just just stay up to date with what you're doing or get help from you, please Absolutely. let them know. Yeah, um, you guys can find me at Kara Corey Fit Life. You can check me out on YouTube where I give lots of great free information. Mm-hmm. Um, also Karakori Fit Life on Instagram, Karakori Fit Life at Gmail if you want to hit me up for um, online coaching and Karakori Fit on Twitter because the handle name can only be so long. (laughs) I know. And then you can only tweet a little bit amount. I love Twitter, but that kills me every time. And you can't edit it. I hate that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I tweeted something and I put the wrong your and I was like, I'm in grad school. Oh, yeah, and then you're going to get all the haters because uh-huh. people are so I, – I learned that real quick on YouTube when people started attacking uh, my grammar when I responded to people's comments, and I'm like, I don't have time for grammar, okay? <laughs> I know, and then the iPhone or the I, the Mac doesn't even change it for you. That's right, and I know. And you type in – you're just going in your, and then it changes to the wrong your, and then you don't look yeah. at it. It autocorrects on you. Mm. First world problems. I know, right? <laughs> And then we have 5 billion more problems in this world. But thank you so much again, Kara. It was such a joy to talk to you. I am just so thankful you took your time to come on my podcast. And hopefully I can have you on here again because this was just an amazing conversation. I would love that. Yay. Well, thank Thank you you again. And I hope you have just such a fantastic night and that your puppy's doing okay. And yeah. you survive you will do great interning and survive grad school you got this oh thank you i need all the prayers i can get you got it girl all right i will talk to you later have a great night thanks lacy you too bye bye